0: Biblical visions and dreams can be difficult to interpret. Not impossible, it's not a mystery as if we cannot find the answer. Often the problem with not being able to interpret biblical visions and dreams is a lack of understanding of biblical events. If we understand biblical events, we will understand these dreams, these visions, that the prophets have in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament. And so far in Zechariah's night visions, the symbolism hasn't been too dark, too difficult to understand. But from here on out, the rest of the visions are are strange. Strange to our modern ears and so forth. But But not impossible if we rightly understand God's Word and handle it accurately. We can find the answer to these difficulties. It is good that we continue to have the interpretive angel. That interpretive angel that has accompanied Zechariah this whole time continues to guide Zechariah. We see verse 1, "...and the angel who talked with me, that same angel that has been with him since the beginning, helping him understand the dreams, the visions continues, and he woke me, he says, like a man who is awakened out of his sleep, not necessarily asleep, or the simile makes no sense, but nevertheless, he said to me, the angel, what do you see? And Zachariah said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. Now, we know that the word lampstand in the Hebrew is the word menorah. We're all familiar with the menorah. The menorah that stood in that holy place, that lit and guide, lit the holy place, the room, lit the room that you might find the way into the holy of holies. It prepared the high priest who would enter into that most holy place, That uh, prepared him to walk into that and see and, and be guided into that most holy of holies. And we know that in the Old Testament, that the menorah was a symbol of the tree of life. It represented the light of life. Now, this menorah is a little different from the tabernacle menorah or even the temple menorah. This was a super menorah. It's got seven lamps, and each of those seven lamps had seven more lamps, so a total of 49 wicks. Not only did it have these 49 wicks, it also had these two olive trees that stood beside it. Verse 3, and there are two olive trees. So he sees a menorah and two olive trees, one to the right, one to the left. And As he asks later on in verse 12, the angel tells him, or he, he asks, what are these two branches? Verse 12, and the second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? What is happening here is a menorah With two olive trees and pipes going into the branches, so as the oil, uh, so that there's a perpetual uh, supply of oil into this lamp. It has the two olive trees there continually supplying oil to this lamp, so that its light never fades. It has a continual, it continually burns. Now the symbolism is difficult of this vision, but it's not lost on us only, because even we see here, Zechariah is a little lost, verse four. And I said to the angel who talks with me, "What are these, my lord?" And apparently, he should have known, because the angel kind of rebukes him. Then the angel who talked with me, verse five, answered and said to me, "Do you not know what these are?" So apparently, he should have knew it. He should have known, but he says, "No, my lord." And Maybe we're like Zechariah here as well. Like, what are these? And then he answers, verse 6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. All right, now y'all got it, right? It's clear? (laughs) Uh, This is the word of the Lord, uh, Zerubbabel. So apparently the answer is uh, another redemptive figure, another person, Zerubbabel. You're all familiar with Zerubbabel? Maybe for a few of you that aren't. Uh, Zerubbabel was the governor of Israel during the days of exile, after the return of exile, uh, contemporaneously with Zechariah. He was governor at the return. We can find his story in Haggai. You can follow along or turn to Haggai. It's just one book over. Haggai, verse one, chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, On the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So we know here that Zerubbabel, we see that he was serving under Joshua, the high priest, who we addressed in the last vision. If you recall vision four, it was a vision on the high priest, Joshua. Now he has a vision of the governor. And together, these two were tasked to rebuild the temple. They were together to rebuild the temple, yet not in their own strength. Verse 6, or as verse 6 continues, He said to me, this is the word of the Lord, is Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And that's a key verse. If you're into underlining, that's the verse to underline in this chapter. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now before we get to this understanding, we have a couple more symbols. Verse 7, we have a mountain. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, who shall become a plain? A mountain that becomes a plain, and then we have stones and shouting. He shall bring forward the top stone and shouts of grace, grace, grace. To it, what does all this mean? What is the mystery of this symbolism? We can understand it if we rightly handle this word. If we look at these symbols in light of redemptive history, and especially in light of what our Savior Jesus Christ said when He came, we hear Christ in John five and on the walk, road to uh, the walk to Emmaus. He reminds us, he tells the church in these two events that all of the Old Testament is about Christ. So we expect to find Christ in this text, but how How do we get to Christ in the midst of mountains and lampstands and oil and and olive trees and so forth? How do we get to the gospel from here? Well, I think it's best to work backwards. So we're going to work backwards in this text. And as we work backwards through this text, we'll find in the fifth vision here, the Great Commission. Surprisingly, I know. But what we find here in this text is the Great Commission. It is Christ's call to the church to make disciples, to make disciples with the word and sacraments, to make disciples through the gospel, and finally, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Great Commission shouldn't be too far off if we've recognized these visions so far. We've had in the first vision the symbolism of Christ who has come to destroy this world, to set up a new Jerusalem. We've also seen in the same vision, the, the vision of horns and craftsmen, that there will be those who will come and craft true places of worship. In chapter 2, we've seen the vision of Christ with a measuring line, that the Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, too small, that we need a greater Jerusalem. Chapter 3, we've seen the doctrine of justification, with Joshua, the high priest, and how Christ is destroying false worship through the gospel. And now we see in this vision, the Great Commission, very ecclesiastical dreams, are they not? So through redemptive history, we can find the answer. We find the Great Commission, that Christ calls his church to make disciples with the word and the sacraments. And before we begin looking at this, it'd be, it'd be favorable to turn to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, 18, 20, and actually look at the Great Commission proper. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me or follow along. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, He said to His apostles, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. So Christ has all authority on heaven and earth. He says with that authority... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice Christ promises His presence. And what are the means by which He is present with His church? He says, I am with you. With you how? Through baptizing and teaching through the word and sacraments Christ is authoritative on heaven and earth and through these means he comes and is with his church to the end of the age you see here Jesus promises his presence in the means of grace his authority found in baptism and teaching these things make disciples now back to Zechariah, keeping that in mind We work backwards through these visions. We can come to the truth of this word. I think working backwards helps us the best. So if we're going to work backwards, we begin with this mountain. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall be a plain. You shall become a plain. So what is this mountain and why does it need to be leveled? This mountain is here and it needs to be leveled. And we know that its leveling is a good thing because as it's leveled, it brings forth praise. That's one clue. The shouts of praise at the leveling of this mountain is one clue. And the commander of the attack is another clue. Verse 8, we see that it is the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. That's God's military name. The Lord of battle. It's his military name who commands victory. And he commands victory not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. So God has ordained, He has ordered, He has promised to destroy this mountain. Why? Because it is a false mountain. It is a pseudo-Zion. It is a work of Antichrist trying to make himself, Satan trying to make himself higher than God whom, as we know from the rest of Scripture, is worshipped on a mountain, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord. Psalm 24. And where are we gathered in Hebrews 12? We're gathered not by a mountain that cannot be touched, but we are gathered to Zion. But this mountain is a false mountain, a cultic, dark, evil mountain. It is the mountain that had ruined Israel and caused them to become idol worshipers. That is why they went into exile. And so it is this false worship It is the false worship of this world that is condemned. And that is really the work of the Great Commission. The Great Commission actually condemns false worship. The Great Commission, the church, is to go out and destroy the enemy. Not by might, nor by our power, not our excellence or our strength, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Destruction makes disciples. Now, historically, Zerubbabel encountered this mountain in his attempt to rebuild the temple. Pagans had filled the land of Israel, and they were persecuting the people of God. And so, Zerubbabel and Joshua are having a hard time building the temple. At this point in, the, at this point in time, there's really only a foundation. That's as far as they've gotten And here this text reminds them that in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of this hardship, in the darkness of this world, they were not going to get the work done by ordinary means. But by the extraordinary. That is, not by our excellence, not by his power, not Zerubbabel or Joshua's strength or wisdom, but by the Spirit of God. You see, through Zerubbabel, the Holy Spirit will level this mountain. So we see the mountain, now we see the two olive trees. We work ourselves backwards. He says there are two, verse 3, there are these two olive trees, one on the left, one on the right. And they symbolize this extraordinary power of God. Drop down to verses 11 through 14. Or we'll just go from 12 to 14. And a second time I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones. Two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Now, their standing is very important. They don't stand before the Lord as a cherubim. We often hear of, of the angels and so forth and anointed ones standing before the Lord as to worship the Lord, but these stand beside the Lord as to serve the Lord, as to fight for his cause, the means by which he will destroy this mountain. These anointed ones with this golden oil. And we recognize what these anointed ones are when we recognize what the lampstand, what the lampstand symbolizes, this menorah lamp, this super menorah. We know in the Old Testament, as I said earlier, the lampstand, the lampstand in the Old Testament stood for the tree of life. Now in the New Testament, what does the lampstand stand stand for? Lampstand stand for, yes. The lampstand stands for the church. Whereas Jesus says, if the light goes out, he would remove his lampstand. Which makes sense that we would be a lampstand because it is the covenant people of God who have access to the tree of life. It is the covenant people of God who have access to the holy of holies. And so here the Lord is saying he is present with his people, his church, the super menorah, seven sevens, perfection, It's the super menorah. It's not the regular menorah, a small menorah. It's not just the Palestinian peoples, the Israelites, but the Israel of God, the church invisible, the holy Catholic church, the super menorah, a church from every tongue, tribe, and nation who belong to God. God is with his people through these two anointed ones. And how is God with his people? What is that which God uses What are the two things God uses to make His presence known among His people? The power of God under salvation is what? Right? It's the Gospel. It's Word and sacraments. So here the Word and sacraments are the means by which the Spirit uses to destroy this false mountain. God with His people through these means, Word and sacraments. destroys this false mountain cult. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And death is that dark false mountain. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The free gift there, that word gift in the Greek, in Romans, is the Greek word charisma, where we get the word or the idea of charismatic or charisma, charismania, that the American church is just full of. The charismania and the seeking and searching of spiritual gifts and so forth. Here we see that the charismata has destroyed death. And it is a free charismata to those whom God has chosen to eternal life. Charismata through the Word and sacraments. It is the Word and sacraments and the Spirit's use of these Word and sacraments, the charismata that destroys strongholds and saves disciples you see disciples are made through word and sacraments because disciples are made through the gospel verse 7 he says who are you o great mountain before zerubbabel here's where we begin to see jesus christ before zerubbabel you shall become a plain now historically on one level historically on one level zerubbabel here is the historical figure the governor in israel in the day of israel who was is to rebuild the temple But on a higher plane, on a higher level, Zerubbabel was a type of Christ. Christ who truly destroyed this mountain. When he was crucified on the false mountain of Golgotha, crucified on a false mountain, but victorious, we know, who's ascended, you know, buried, on the third day, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God. Sits on a mountain, the mountain of the Lord. He has made this false cultic mountain a plain. His death has earned for us the charismata, the work of the Spirit, not by might nor by power, but by the charismata of God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 5, verse 15. We were just there a few months ago as we make our way through Romans, so fitting that I turn to Romans from time to time as we make our way through Zechariah, and we'll be back to Romans shortly after the end of the summer. But Romans 5.15 and following. We read, But the free gift, the free charisma in the Greek, the free charisma is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the charis, grace, God and the free gift of grace, Dora and cariti, of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free charisma, the free charismania, the free Pentecostal, the work of Pentecostal, following many trespasses brought justification. You see, the gift of grace is the work of Christ. And so, among the shouts at the destruction of this mountain, we hear, grace, grace to it. We hear of grace, grace. We hear the celebration of the one who's overcome this death mountain. We hear the angels in heaven celebrating the work of Christ here in the midst of this vision. Because Christ is now building His church, a stone on top of this fallen world, on this fallen mountain, in its rubble, Christ is erecting the stone, a church, the rock, to which the church proclaims grace, grace. So we see here is Protestantism. (laughs) Grace alone, Christ alone. Christ, who is the light of the world. Christ is the light of the world. He's the light of life. He calls himself the light of the world. He calls himself the light of light. But he also called the church to be the light of the world. You see, we are the menorah community. We are a menorah community here in the dark valley of Missoula. And we are called here to make disciples in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Baptized? He says baptism makes us a spiritual people. And so does drinking. Drinking the wine of the spirit. The sacraments are spiritual. Spiritual. And the past sacraments are effective not because we bring our excellence, not because we bring our wisdom, not because we bring our strengths to the table. God forbid. We bring nothing, do we not? We bring only sin, and it is by the Word and the sacraments that we receive the power of God. We receive the Spirit. We don't give in the sacraments. God gives to us. We don't dedicate our children to God in baptism. God claims our children. Ultimately, saying we have no right to these; these children are His children. And so you raise them in the Lord. Here's your application, church. We are the light of the world that will never fade, because we have the Word and sacraments. In Christ, the Spirit of God is moving us forward. To Zion, And we are called in this life to take up the battle cry, to take up this battle cry, grace, grace to it, and with the preaching of the gospel of grace, with the preaching of the gospel and the power of God, mountains, this great mountain that was destroyed and those strongholds that continue to uh, evade our world, we destroy them. The word and sacraments by the power of the gospel and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, I wish that all were as myself. He says, I wish the whole church was like me, you know, extraordinary, apostle. He says, I wish all were apostles, but he says each has his own gift. Each has his own charismata. One of one kind and one of another. So Paul wishes the church, he wished the church had all these extraordinary gifts. Right, could heal the sick, you know, walk in his shadow, be healed, and so forth, and all the things that accompanied Paul. But he says, nevertheless, each has his own. And here's the deal. You know, we, the, we had the extraordinary with the apostles and prophets, but today we just really have the ordinary. And the word charismata really means ordinary most of the time. In the Bible, charismata is usually just ordinary. For example, marriage is considered charismata. Celibacy is charismata. Those are just ordinary things in life. Ministers work with the charismata, the gift given to them. That is, they labor diligently in the Word of God, and they watch their life and their doctrine closely. They persevere in it. They preach the gospel in season, out of season. That's charismata. Raising your children in the truth of God's Word is charismata. We're, we're, we're uh, charismatics here, by the way. We are reformed we'll our Pentecostals in the true sense of the term. Not because we're seeking all this radical, extraordinary stuff, but because we're ordinarily focused on the true charismata, the power of God under salvation is the gospel. Romans 12.6, Paul says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Here in this verse, Paul plays with the word gift and grace to show us that all gifts are charismata and all charismata overlap with grace. What is charismata? Grace. Not your excellence, not your strength. By grace, ordinary. But that ordinary is radical. Not that you're radical. That's what the church today gets so wrapped up in their speciality? You know, we're all there, there's a craving in the Church of America uh, to determine its its uh, spiritual gifts. We all have this speciality mentality. What's my speciality? Well, the charismatic in the Bible actually usually doesn't work with your specialities, but your lack thereof. It's usually the lack thereof of speciality. The Lord works, not in your strength, not in your excellence. Paul says he had a thorn in the flesh that he might impress upon his hearers the power of Christ. He says, when I'm weak, then I am strong. Spiritual gifts are not some presumed strength and ability. We have to get rid of that speciality mentality. It's not about your glory, but Christ. It's not our achievement or our ability. But what God does through us in spite of us, in place of our weakness. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. He says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. You see, our spiritual gifts are often a matter of the cross and not our own glory. And that truth has always brought comfort to me as I sought the ministry because I thought, well, I'm not that great. But I would look at these verses and say, well, if the Lord can use Balaam, if he can use a donkey, he can use me. Matter of fact, many of my friends that I grew up with in high school saw what I, know what I was doing, they would, be, they would be scratching their heads like, the Lord chose that guy? You see, here's the deal. The Spirit has given to you gifts for purpose. He's given the church these gifts to help fulfill the Great Commission. You see, the church is called to destroy error through the means of grace. We have this menorah mission in Missoula to shine the light of Christ into a dark world. And we are to condemn the counterclaims of Satan to those who lie in pitch darkness. We are to bring the light of the Gospel to summon the lost to salvation in Christ. And like the menorah, in the holy place the menorah in that tabernacle the menorah in that temple we light the way of the throne of grace and we all have a role to play and they vary your bible's turning me to 1st peter chapter 4 1st peter 4 verses 10 through 11 Paul says, as each has received a gift, as each has received a gift of charismata, use it to serve one another. Service. How are some of the ways you can serve one another? Guess what? That's charismata. Maybe your service in the church is uh, cleaning toilets. That's Pentecostal. Pentecostal act. (laughs) As good stewards of God's varied grace, varied, varied charismata. Whoever speaks as one who speaks orals, oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order, they, that everything may, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to bring Him glory, that the light of God might shine and have dominion forever and ever. And there are two types of charismata we see in this text. There are word charismata, whoever speaks, and there are deed charismata, whoever serves. And everybody here has one of these, either word charismata or deed charismata. Ministers happen to have the word charismata. We bring the word of God to bear on others. Some of you might be evangelists, like you just have this predisposition to uh, do apologetics with others and, and to uh, bear witness to the gospel and so forth. That might be a type of word charismata. But probably more than likely, most of us have the deed charismata. Serving the Lord indeed. Serving the church in ordinary service. And these spiritual gifts are not found in your excellence or strength, but they come in your weakness. For the kingdom of God comes not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. Get rid of that speciality mentality. Don't look and say, hey, I'm good at this. You know, This is where I'm special at in the workplace. Maybe, oh, you know what? I'm a CEO, so I'm probably like, I should be an elder, right? Because I'm a CEO in, in the business world. I'd probably say, no, you're probably not, because I don't. this isn't a business. <laughs> it's not your glory, but Christ's. It's not our achievement or our ability, but what God does through us in spite of us because of our weakness. His grace is sufficient. So if you belong to this church, you have a service to this church, you have a calling to this church, and I don't know what it is. It could be something as minor as just coming and filling a pew. It could be as minor as raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It may be uh, your calling to serve the church in any capacity. That's your calling. You help with a great commission. You may not be ordained to administer the means of grace, but you are called to keep the means of grace on the table. You see, together we're the light of the church together we work to keep the light on. In your service and your calling, know that through the means of grace in the gospel, the Lord is with us, standing with us, using us, beside us, using us. For the great commission, destroy this great mountain. That Christ might make it plain and bring forward the top, the church, That we together as a church every day, every Lord's Day, would sing together grace, grace to it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.